This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now, here's today's podcast. Would you open your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 16? The English pastor and hymn writer Isaac Watts once wrote a collection of hymns for children entitled Divine Songs. Watts explained in the preface that he wrote these songs because how important he knew it to be for children to be taught biblical truth from an early age. And he described these hymns as constant furniture for the minds of children that they might have something to think upon when they were alone and to sing over themselves. And as he thought through various subjects that he wanted to make sure that the next generation knew and they had vocabulary to sing, he turned his attention to the Lord's Day. He wrote a hymn entitled, For the Lord's Day Morning. And this is what he wrote. This is the day when Christ arose so early from the dead. Why should I keep my eyelids closed and waste my hours in bed? Some of you may have said that to a child this morning. Back to the hymn. This is what Watts writes. This is the day when Jesus broke the powers of death and hell. And shall I wear Satan's yoke and love my sins so well? Today with pleasure, Christians meet to pray and hear thy word. And I would go with cheerful feet to learn thy will, O Lord. I'll leave my sport and read and pray and so prepare for heaven. Oh, may I love this blessed day, the best of all the seven. Like Dr. Watts, the desire of our church is that our children from an early age would be taught the truths of Scripture, that they would be able to know them and sing them and love them. So that's happening right now across the hall in Trails Kids. The next generation is being discipled. That's one expression of this heart. They're being taught how all of Scripture points to Christ and the difference that he alone makes in the lives of of his people. And then when they get to 56, so in 5th and 6th grade, Trails 56 curriculum is built around what's called the New City Catechism, in which they learn through question and answer the whole teaching, or a lot of the teaching of the Bible. One of the questions that they learn asks this, what does God require in the fourth and fifth commandments? And the answer is that on the Sabbath day, we spend time in public and private worship of God, rest from routine employment, serve the Lord and others, and so anticipate the eternal Sabbath. Well, our passage today tells the story of the Sabbath's Origin. It's the origin story of what was known as the Sabbath before the coming of Christ. And then with the glorious death and resurrection of Jesus, what we now know as the Lord's Day. And so a shaping question for our time together is this. What role does the Lord's Day play in your life as a disciple of Jesus? What role does the Lord's Day play in your, in your life as a disciple of Jesus? The theme of Exodus 16, 22 to 36, explains how God gave the Sabbath to his people so that they might spend time weekly in worship, in rest, and in remembrance. This day was meant to be, like to use Dr. Watts' phrase, constant furniture 
in the minds and lives of God's children so that they would arrange their lives around him and trust that he was, in fact, their savior, their redeemer, and their provider. This day of ceasing from the normal marketplace rhythms of their lives was often called the market day of the soul. So in this passage, what I want to highlight are three pieces of this furniture. We're speaking metaphorically. I hope everyone understands that. Three pieces of furniture that we find in this text. One, a holy day of worship, verses 22 through 26. Second, a gifted day of rest, verses 27 to 30. And finally, a divine sign of remembrance, verses 31 through 36. Let me encourage you to stand once more to your feet as we read together from God's holy and inerrant word. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each, and when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded, tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink And there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days shall you gather it. But on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my law? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now, the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness, when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna forty years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. An omer is the tenth part of an ephah. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Would you be seated? The Sabbath was first and foremost a holy day of worship. This truth is underlined in verse 23. Even before the fourth commandment was given at Mount Sinai, the Lord commands his people this. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Now, let's define and think about that phrase, holy Sabbath. The word holy means consecrated or set apart. It was special. So while the other days of the week 
were meant to be filled with productivity. The Sabbath day would be set apart as something special. This seventh day was a Sabbath. The word Sabbath means ceasing, stopping. It carries with it the idea of perfect rest. So holy Sabbath, the consecrated, set-apart day when God's people would cease from work. Not so that they could spend time on empty recreation, but so that their lives might be filled with the worship of God. This is so important. In the life of Israel, Moses mentions this four different occasions in the book of Exodus. Now the way God consecrated this day was first by him resting, like he did in Genesis chapter 2, 1 and 2. Him resting from providing fresh manna for the people. And he's also instructing them to join in his rest. The question would be if they would obey. And if they would not work one day out of seven, could they trust God to provide? Or to borrow the language from Psalm chapter 78, can God spread a table in the wilderness? Well, using theological terms, you betcha. You betcha. Let's look together at how God spreads a table in the wilderness for his chosen people. Last week, we learned that through the miraculous provision of manna, God would care for and provide his people so that there was nothing left over and no lack. I love that. 16, 18 is where you'll find those words. God had already told Moses back in 16 verse 5 that the people were going to go out the morning of the sixth day just like the other five days, only this time they were to gather two omers of manna. Now kids, do you remember your homework at the Super Bowl party? To find those glorious two liter bottles of Dr. Pepper? And that's about what the size of of Manna that they're collecting, two of those now, not just one. This would be enough for the sixth and seventh day. And so after everyone gathers their two-day food supply, the leaders come to Moses for further instructions. And Moses tells them, bake what you will bake. Boil what you will boil. For Sabbath comes in just one day, yet none of the food will spoil. I mean, I added a little bit, but you know, that's generally... That's generally what he's saying. And you'll remember the last time that some of them tried to sneak some extra manna from the dinner table. It did not go well, right? They tried to hide it in their pockets and in the corner of the room. And overnight, it was filled with what? Worms. Disgusting. And the air was filled with the stench of disobedience. By this time, it is different. This time is so different because it's God who has instructed them to do this. And so they obey what God said. They gather up two omers of manna per person. They go home. They bake bread. They put what's left over, maybe by the fire. And then the morning of the seventh day, they wake up and no worms. And it still smells sweet like honey. How is that even possible? Well, the God who soured the manna on the first 
five, six days. Now, preserves it on the seventh day. This is the supernatural power of God on display. On the morning of the Sabbath, the, field, the fields were not filled with morning manna because God provided enough for them the first six days that they were well supplied for the seventh so that they could rest from their gathering and baking and worship the Lord. Some of the Puritans would call Sunday, the Lord's Day, the market day of the soul. I love that phrase. The market day of the soul. They understood the importance of work, but they also believed that the fourth commandment that God had instructed his people to spend one day in seven centered around the worship of God. The worship of God on the Lord's day is not like an old lamp that you just stand somewhere in the corner of a room. The Lord's day is like the fireplace and you arrange all of the furniture around it. You arrange the whole living of your life around it. Now, I've got a buddy who's a pastor in Florida. They will often tweet out on Saturday, Sunday morning worship is a Saturday night decision. I think that's good. I love seeing those tweets. But, honestly, for the Christian, Sunday morning worship is not a Saturday night decision where we check our calendar to see if there's nothing better going on. Sunday morning worship is the event each week that we schedule everything else around. Why? Because it is the market day of the soul, where God's people gather on this holy day to worship our holy God. This is the Lord's day. And like we teach the children of our church, we need to learn this too, where we are called to spend time in public and private worship of God to serve the Lord and others. Now, there could be countless questions in your mind. Well, what about my work schedule? Or what about this or that? We don't have time to go into all of those things. We're just speaking in principle here. We're not Sabbatarians where we believe that nothing should happen on Sunday except for worship, right? We just do this for an hour. The rest of the time is yours and the Lord's. So we don't have time to get into all of that. Uh, this fall, we will be doing a 10-week series through the Ten Commandments. And on the fourth week of that, I do hope to spend more time talking through the continuity and discontinuity of where, where the Sabbath was given to God's people and what does that look like for us living on this side of the new covenant. What does that mean? For now, from this passage, I just want to encourage you to ask, do you value the Lord's day as a holy day of worship. You value it. The second thing given to God's people is a gifted day of rest. So these points, the first two really revolve around the day, and the, second, the third one around the bread. So the second you know, furniture, if you will, that God gives to his people is a gifted day of rest. The Sabbath was about the worship of God, but it was a gracious gift from the Lord, meant to bring rest and renewal and refreshing to God's people. Often when we think about the Sabbath, the first question we hurry to is, what do we have to do? But originally, this day was the opposite of a to-do list. It was a not-to-do list. Do nothing and enjoy the Lord. 
The Sabbath was a commanded rest for God's people. But don't miss this. This is so important. This is a gift from the Lord for us to enjoy. As the dawn breaks on the seventh day, Moses tells us that not all the people trusted in God's care and provision. Even though God had told them there would be no food that morning, some of them went out looking for more manna. Verse 27, but they found none. Just as the Lord had told them, there won't be any there. Why are you looking for manna? We said there would be none. And it's pure irony what we see. You see, in Exodus 5, the people were pleading for rest from Pharaoh. Here, a good and gracious father has given them one day of rest in seven, and they want to busy themselves with working. They insist on working seven days a week. Pharaoh withheld rest from the Israelites. God is graciously giving it to them. We've seen this happen already. God speaking to Moses on behalf of the people. This is in a role called uh, the mediator. And so God goes to Moses and he asks him about this. And the question is so sharp. How long will you refuse to keep my commandments? Now those words sound jarringly close to how we see God speak to Pharaoh in Exodus 10.3, where God said, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Now, why would God speak this way to his kids? Well, because in this moment, they're acting a lot like Pharaoh, refusing and resisting God's word. And so God repeats himself. He repeats the message again to these gift-refusing people, telling them in verse 29, this is what the Lord has commanded. They should simply stay at home, eat what they were given the day before, and stop looking for bread when he had already said there would be none. So after trying it their own way, we find this wonderful exhale in verse 30. So the people rested on the seventh. They rested. Now that resting was not a one-time event. Rather, this was the beginning of a practice for God's people to exercise from that point on. Now there's an important word in verse 29 that I think unlocks what God intends by the commandment of the Sabbath. You might want to circle it or underline. The word is given. Given. See, the Lord has given you this Sabbath. Now, that's the language that you would describe, that you would use to describe a gift being given. And this is exactly what the Sabbath was, a present from a loving father to his beloved chosen children. The Israelites are like a child whose dad has gone out and chosen this wonderful gift for the son he loves meant to be an expression of his heart, a gift that would bring blessing and flourishing to the life of his child. But just imagine then on on the day that that the kid opens the gift, he just looks up with a a stalled face and says, oh, I mean, thanks. Is there anything else you got me? Anything else? Is this it? Yeah, this is it. The problem of unbelief in the Israelites is more than skin deep. It goes all the way to their hearts. 
it runs through their veins, the condition that began all the way back in the garden where a good and loving father told his first children that he would take care and provide for them everything that they need. Yet, they did not trust the word of the Lord, but ate from that fruit. Well, here the children of God are being called upon a similar task. Take God at his word, trust in his provision, and rest in it. Yet their hearts are restless still. Uh, Thomas Watson writes that the Sabbath is a day wherein we have a prize for our souls and may enjoy much of God's presence. What a great description. He goes on to call it the queen of days, the day that God has crowned with blessing. When you think about the Lord's day, do you see it as a day that is the queen of days, crowned with blessing? Part of enjoying God's presence comes with time to stop and know the blessing of God. Uh, We live in Collin County, which is a place of productivity and excelling in everything that we want to touch, getting things done. And that's part of what makes living here so incredible. However, with that culture and with these blessings also come many dangers, toils, and snares. We can easily fill every day of the week with activity, good activity, to the point point where we are overwhelmed and exhausted because we forsake the biblical rhythm of work and rest. Surely in most of your homes this week, you either thought, I'm so busy, or you heard someone say, I'm exhausted, or if we can just get through this season, then we can rest. Anybody? And there are times when, when those, those ways of thinking are necessary. But you and I were not designed to work seven days a week without rest. We are not high-functioning machines. We are flesh and blood. We are human beings who grow tired. People who are wholly dependent on the Lord. We can't even go a full day without rest, without sleep. Um, Many years ago, Jamie and I read John Piper's daily devotional called Taste and See. It's wonderful. And um, and in it, he points out this point of of rest and sleep. Matt Kale sent this to me with a gentle nudge this week. Sleep is a daily reminder from God that we are not God. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. But Israel will, for we are not God. Once a day, God sends us to bed like patients with a sickness. The sickness is a chronic tendency to think we are in control and that our work is indispensable. To cure us of this disease, God turns us into helpless sacks of sand once a day. How humiliating to the self-made corporate executive that he has to give up all control and become as limp as a suckling infant every day. How's that for a first step on us building a theology of sleep? Well, this is also what Sundays do. This is a one day in seven reminder that we are not God 
and that we are not in control and that our work is not indispensable. And God cures us of this disease that is coursing through our veins by ordaining a day each week where we cease our work and we rest in God and the provision that God has given us throughout the week. How humbling, how dependent, how wonderful. As people created to work to the glory of God, we are also created to rest to the glory of God. Some of you need to go home this afternoon and do nothing to the glory of God. When's the last time you took a good nap to the glory of God? Put your phone away to the glory of God. Let your strivings cease to the glory of God. Let your calendar rest to the glory of God. What is the lesson of the Sabbath? That we are a totally dependent people. Now, one way that that points to Christ, that this Old Testament law points to Christ in a way that you and I have known in Christ, the writer of Hebrews outlines in chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So my question for you, have you entered God's rest? Some of our striving, some of our busyness is to try to impress a God who will only be happy with us through Christ. We can't do enough. We can't, be, uh, we can't pose as we're important enough to impress him. He sees right through our busy calendars. And instead, he welcomes us to a way of living that lives out of rest that is only found in Christ. And so if you feel like your life is frantic, trying to hurry and uh, make yourself appear more important or feel more important, I just want to call you today just to stop, to cease from that, to Sabbath from that. And instead, look to the cross of Christ where your value was fixed. And to those of you who have never trusted in Christ, whose lives are a hurry and a mess, there is no way to work your way into the good grace of Jesus. The only way is to come to the end of yourself, to cease from striving, and to receive by faith Christ who was crucified for sinners. Have you entered God's rest? And for those of us who are believers, what ways can you promote resting on the Lord's day? This is a gifted day of rest. And then finally, let's look at this divine sign of remembrance, 31 to 36. The final section of our passage brings manna back to the table. We looked last week at verse 31. It tells us that manna was like coriander seed. I did a little um, research this week on what these look like. They're like pea-sized things. They're kind of light brown in color. I'm told they're not flavorful. Anybody cook with coriander? Some of you? None of you? Or a couple? Yeah. I don't know if you would bake coriander and give it to someone, but it doesn't taste very good, right? It's kind of tart. Um, so that's what it looks like, but not what it tastes like. What does it taste like? Do you remember this from last week? Like honey wafers. 
and I made the theological proposition to you guys. It sounds a lot like chicken minis from Chick-fil-A. And like Chick-fil-A, closed on Sunday. I'm just telling you, I think there's something there. Well, here, the Lord instructs Moses to take an omer and preserve it for future generations. So this jar of manna was eventually placed within the most important piece of furniture in the life of the people of God, the Ark of the Covenant. It was right there with the Ten Commandments and Aaron's staff. The importance of this jar of manna in the life of God's people cannot be underemphasized. The jar was a silent storyteller that told of what God had done, what he was doing, and what he would do. This jar of bread, is, is, look at it, it's connected to the story of when God delivered his people from Exodus. They were to look at this bread and remember, this is what had just happened. God had redeemed and saved his people. That's what he'd done in the past. They also want to connect that to the past and the present with look how God provided for our forefathers and look how he, we can know he will provide for us. And they also ate with anticipation looking forward. Through the wilderness, they were looking forward to the promised land. And so they ate looking back, they ate looking around, and they ate looking forward. The manna in the jar reminded Israel that keeping God's Torah, keeping his law, was the key to being fed by him. With normal food or with food provided by Yahweh himself in some miraculous manner. And I want you to point out, this just leapt off the page at me this week. You'll notice the word kept mentioned three times. Kept, kept, kept. And at the heart of this repeated command is the practice of remembrance. The Lord explains how this bread and this day were to be kept for future generations so that they may see. So the Lord designed that our faith would be so central in our lives and that it might be passed down from to our children and to their children from generation to generation. And the truth that we remember and that we live in and that we look forward to is the work of Christ. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2 that the Sabbath was a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So now we walk in the footsteps of those who have gone before us, passing down to the next generation all that God has done for us, the redemption that Christ alone has won for us, the salvation that we enjoy, the rest of Christ. And we remember and tell of all that he's done. This is why we gather Sunday by Sunday, Lord's Day by Lord's Day, to proclaim both to one another and to those who have not yet tasted and seen the Lord's kindness, and to the next generation, how good and faithful our God is. This is why we're passionate about our homes being filled with the story of God's saving grace. This is why, moms and dads, you want to be talking about this with your kids. How did the Lord save you? What was your life before Jesus like? How did Jesus transform the entirety of your life? And to tell to the next generation what that looked like. The prophet Isaiah sums things up and I think makes an important link between the observance of the Sabbath 
and joy. So we've talked about remembrance and rest. And now I love how Isaiah makes this connection between the Sabbath and joy. Isaiah 58, 13 and 14 poetically says, If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath, if you call the Sabbath a delight, and if you honor it by not going your own way, then you find your joy in the Lord. That sounds a lot like what Moses is highlighting here. God giving the Sabbath to his people for them to worship and rest and in remembrance. This day like constant furniture in the thoughts and lives of his children so that they would arrange their lives around who he is. As a good father giving us this day of holy worship where we set aside to worship the Holy One. A day of rest, one in seven, where we take a break from our normal work and said enjoy working on our souls, working uh, on our lives before God. And a day where we set aside and remember the salvation of God. And by His grace, may we faithfully pass this on from generation to generation. This is the lesson we learned here in Exodus 16, verses 22 through 36, the market day of the soul. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for your word that instructs us, that teaches us, that is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. I pray for those of us who live in a, in a culture that continues to push the practice of Christianity to the margins Perhaps those of us who have pushed our faith to the margin of our life and just practice it when we have time in our calendar. Lord, would you redo our calendars around knowing you, around living as your people. Pray for those who are exhausted right now from having neglected the practice of rest. I pray that they would know the rest of Christ. And I pray that you would go before us as we proclaim to the next generation the goodness and faithfulness, the salvation and redemption, the provision and rest that we know in Jesus Christ. I ask all this in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org.